Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to The Grove. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, or maybe first time in a while, gosh, it's good to see you. And for everybody who calls this church home, we're so glad that you are here once again. And we have not forgotten about you if you are worshiping with us online. Wherever you find us on this Christmas Eve, we're so glad that you are with us. You know, as uh, people were coming in, you know, making small talk, as you do, you know, in the first 10 minutes of church, I was asking everybody, okay, how's your Christmas going? And it was so interesting to me in your responses, kind of doing kind of this kind of like kind of psychoanalysis on the answers you give. And so for those of you who are like, well, I'm never going to answer anymore. Like next time he asked me how I'm doing, but in the data that you were giving me, what is so interesting about the question, like, how's your Christmas going? Is your answers were all about the details. It's like, oh, it's good. We got this done and we got this and all the presents are wrapped. It, like the checklist of, of what it takes to make Christmas happen, you were, for most of you, you were like excited about how far you'd gotten down the checklist. And for others of you, what you talked about were the things that hadn't gotten checked off the checklist. Like, well, we're close. We're not all the way there. We still got to... And it's so interesting to me that when we think about Christmas, we think about the details. We think about what the pieces that have to come together to create Christmas, to make Christmas feel meaningful. I don't know if y'all have kind of rhythms, traditions, things that have to happen, otherwise it's not Christmas. Do y'all have that in your own families and in your own kind of traditions? For me, there's a couple of things. Uh, There's a couple of movies that I gotta watch every year. Uh, Primarily Home Alone and Love Actually. Now, I can't recommend everybody watch both those movies, but everybody can watch the first one. Uh, But for me, if for some reason it's not Christmas unless I watch those two movies, there's also kind of this effect for me of when I start to wrap presents, it really starts to sink in. Um, Like as, you know, I'm like, you know, fiddling with the paper. I'm a terrible wrapper, and so most of my gifts are gift bags. But this year I tried to wrap more presents, but there's something cathartic for me that makes it feel like Christmas when I start wrapping. It's also kind of gathering with family. None of these are like surprising you know, when you get together with, you know, the people that you love or that uh, you're required to love because they're family, you know, that starts to make it feel like Christmas. Some of them are here tonight. Um, and then the other thing for me, the thing that really does it, that makes it feel like Christmas is when I start to put on Christmas music. Like there's a couple of like playlists that like that is the key for me that it's starting to all kind of come together. One of those is kind of Mannheim Steamroller. I don't know why. It was something I grew up listening to. My dad would play it. And so anytime I hear that, it's kind of like this like Christmas time machine that takes me back and it starts to feel like Christmas. But the one, the one that really does it, my favorite Christmas music outside of Shannon singing Oh Holy Night is Motown Christmas. How many are a Motown Christmas fan? Is there any solidarity in the room? Okay, just me. Okay, we got a couple. We got a couple. Good. And the one for me, the number one, like this is like my all-time favorite Christmas song over all of kind of the like the Christian hits is Stevie Wonder's What Christmas Means to Me. That's the one for me. It's like boom, 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 boom. And I was thinking about if I would go into like the first verse. And I was like, after Shannon sings the Holy Night, I'm probably not gonna, I'm probably not gonna do that uh, this evening. So you're welcome, Merry Christmas for that gift. But what I love about that song is, in the same way Stevie sings about kind of all of the details coming together and his description and depiction of like 
the meaning of Christmas to him. And it's like this collaboration, this composite of details. Here's some of the lines if you've forgotten that song. Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice everywhere we go. Choirs singing carols right outside my door. All these things, all these details and more, that's what Christmas means to me, my love. And then he goes in later, let's deck the halls with holly, swing, sing sweet silent night, fill the tree with angel hair and pretty, pretty lights, go to sleep and wake up just before daylight. All these things and more, that's what Christmas means to me. And I love this song, one, just because of the bass line, but two, because of the way that it seems to kind of capture the essence of Christmas for so many of us. For most of us, the meaning of Christmas is built by kind of the aggregate of all of the little parts and pieces and traditions and rituals and details that come together. But I think there's kind of a risk in that being how the meaning of Christmas is created for us. Because if it's about the details and all the details don't get done, what happens to our Christmas? For some of you, you've already experienced this this year. This year did not go according to plan. This Christmas does not look like the script of all of the details that come together to make Christmas meaningful. Maybe for you, your life took an unexpected turn somewhere in the last six or seven months. Maybe for you, there are people who are noticeably absent this Christmas. For some of you, you're facing some kind of reality in your own life, whether it's kind of from an employment standpoint, a financial standpoint, a relational standpoint. And you're like, well, this, I don't know how to accommodate this detail in the meaning of my Christmas. And so I think what might help us in just the short time that we have together is to look at the details of the original Christmas story. Because for so many of us, they've become so familiar that they, we've lost sight of the meaning behind these details. The story of Mary and Joseph and the baby and the manger and the shepherds, we sing about it. And it's so like beautiful to us. We've kind of romanticized it in so many ways. But in doing so, I think we've lost a little bit of the meaning of, that's behind it. And so I'd like to read to you the Christmas story and kind of stop along the way and point out some of the details that maybe we've forgotten and some of the meaning that's hidden within them. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke and in the second chapter. This is kind of the one that is most traditionally read during Christmas. This is the one that songs and art and authors have written about and talked about for thousands of years just because of the way it captures kind of the scene and the imagery of that Christmas story. So here we go. Luke 2, starting in the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now I'm going to stop here because this story starts like every other story did back then. Back then, if you were to hear a story about somebody, they were always rich, famous, and powerful. Those are the only stories we tell. It's kind of like our like, people or Us Weekly. You don't like read about like an average person in those magazines. It's the same effect. You only hear stories about people who are strong and powerful and have it all together, who have all of the control and all of the wealth and all of the fame. Those are the only stories you hear. And so this is how people would expect the story to go. Of course the story is about Emperor Augustus. He was the most powerful person in the world. 
But there's a detail in here that I think speaks to some of the things that we miss in this Christmas story. And so it says, in those days, a decree went out that the whole world should be registered. The only reason that powerful people issue decrees so that people will go and register and identify themselves is for control. There was a a need for control. There was a need for more power. Perhaps there was an insecurity on the part of Emperor Augustus to try to control the Roman world. All of these things uh, are here right in this story. And it says this was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everybody... All of the nobodies who live in kind of the random places all throughout the Roman Empire, they go to their own towns to be registered. And then the story shifts. Because remember, stories are only about people who have it all together, rich, famous, powerful. And then it says, Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem. Joseph was a nobody from nowhere in a random village in the middle of this kind of Judean peninsula that was kind of uh, forgotten about during this time period. This was not near Rome. This was not, during this, not near the center of all of the activity and all of the kind of power and kind of the politics that was happening in that known world. This was, it would be kind of like a nowhere town in Oklahoma for us today. You know, that was kind of the equivalent of Judea. <laughs> I'm going to get an email about that. Don't send it. I won't read it. But Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. And he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Now for us, we know these details. We know this part of the story, but what we forget is what a scandal that would have been. It's a scandal now oftentimes, but in that first century world, What a scandal. Two people engaged, one of them pregnant, not married. We know what that means. We know about people like that. And so here you have this nowhere nowhere couple from a nowhere place who got caught up in something they probably shouldn't have gotten caught up in. At least that's all the assumptions that would have been surrounding them at this time. There would have been disgrace and embarrassment. They would have kind of been living as outcasts during this time period. They're having to go to be registered. And so it says while they were moving there, while they were there, as they were on their way, the time came for Mary to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And again, these details are so familiar. But what we forget is that they take this baby and they wrap him in probably dirty strips of cloth wrap him up tight, and lay him in the place where animals eat. This was not one of those like nice porcelain or ceramic or olive wood type mangers that we all have displayed in our homes. No, this was like your dog bowl after a month of not having washed it. Really, you know how it kind of gets the stuff on the outside of the bowl that's been left over? Yeah, this is, this is, where, this is where Jesus was laid. This is where Mary's baby This baby born illegitimately out of wedlock, this was where this child to two nobody parents from a nowhere place was laid. And it said that they were put there in this manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The reason that there was no place for them was, again, connected to 
kind of the disgrace and embarrassment that they carried, the shame that they carried with them because of their situation, because of their circumstances, because on first glance, who people thought they were or what uh, their life was like. And so then it shifts. The story moves to another location, to another scene, to another group of people. And it says, in that region, there were shepherds living in fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, for us, this is kind of like beautiful. It's, it's almost like kind of like the cowboys in Yellowstone, you know, out in this beautiful plain with the mountains in the background, just taking care of the animals. That's not who shepherds were in that time period. The people who became shepherds were the people who couldn't get jobs doing anything else. They were the social outcasts. They were like the vagabonds and the riffraff. Nobody trusted shepherds because they would just let their sheep go over and across everybody's fields. There weren't really fences like the way that we have them now, no barbed wire back then. And so these were people who didn't follow any rules, didn't adhere to any authority, and they were kind of outcasts from society. In fact, back in that time period, it was known that a shepherd's testimony wouldn't stand up in court. They weren't even counted as a citizen or a citizen that you could trust, that you could put any faith or confidence in because of like the assumed character of who they were just based on their occupation. So you can imagine the type of people that this employed. There are kind of categories of you know, an industry and work in our world society today who probably attract a similar category of people or at least the way that the world views them. You know, maybe like the roughnecks out in the oil fields, the same type of like hard working class person, salt of the earth, but really rough around the edges. This is who shepherds were in that time period. And so it says, then an angel of the Lord stood before them. So here these shepherds are out in the middle of nowhere, just watching sheep, I guess. And an angel shows up and stands before him. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I think that this is probably one of the messages of the Christmas story that we forget. We think it's about a baby, and it is about a baby. But there's more than just a baby in a manger and in an inn and some shepherd out in a field. It's about a message to not be afraid. And I think for some of us, this story is hard to access because of the details, but, you know, because we don't identify with shepherds and we don't identify with single mothers who are teenagers trying to find a place to give birth. But I think within the details of the story, these details speak to parts of ourselves. People who are in need of more control, people who are insecure about their power, parts of ourselves who long to be recognized, to long to have control over their life. There are parts of us who maybe we feel disenfranchised, we feel forgotten, we, forget, we feel like we're outcasts, that we carry embarrassment or disgrace or shame about some part or category or aspect of our lives. Parts of us that we look at kind of these broken dreams of what we thought was going to be and we're faced with a new reality that we didn't count on and we're trying to make the best of it, but we don't really know where to go or what to do or how to get along and we're kind of figuring it out as we go and in many ways that feels scary and confusing and a little lonely and then there's other parts of ourselves that kind of identify with the shepherds parts of us that aren't always honest aren't always truthful we cut corners we don't tell the full truth 
we feel a little bit like riffraff in some parts of our hearts and minds. You see, these details of the Christmas story all come together to hear this message from the angel that says, do not be afraid. And that message is for us today. It's again a message not to fear because all of those disparate parts of ourselves, all of the ways that we are in this story, the angel says it's okay. And he says, you don't have to worry about those, about the ways that those disqualify you, the ways that those separate you, the ways that those keep you from all of the best things in life. And then the angel goes on and says, for see, and here's why you don't have to be afraid. For see, there's a connection between these two, these two statements. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Not just some of you, not just those of you who look the part, who fit in, who live in the right places, or go to the right schools, or get along with the right people, or get invited to the right parties. And it's not just for whole classes of people, but it's for all the different parts of ourselves too. For all of us. All of the different things that we carry, that we wrestle with, the parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we're working to fix or change, that we can't seem to get our arms around, that we think, gosh, if people really found out this about me or knew who I really was behind all of the ways that I'm trying to keep it together, they wouldn't want to be close to me. They'd keep me out in the fields at night watching sheep. He says, this is for all of us, every part of us. And it's good news of great joy because to you, to all of us, born this day in the city of David is a savior who is Messiah, the Lord. And here's how you're gonna know that this is true. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. I think that's the last part of the message and the meaning of Christmas. The first is do not be afraid. There's no part of you. There's no detail. There's no moment in time in your history. There's no decision or action that you've had in your life that disqualifies you. This is good news of great joy to all people. You don't have to be afraid about the parts of you that are disqualified. Everybody's welcome to hear this message and to receive this message. And the second part of it is that because of that, you can have peace. It's going to be okay. Because you are who God favors in all of the ways that you're you and all of the ways that you're like Emperor Augustus or Mary and Joseph or the shepherds or the wise men who are searching for knowledge and truth and meaning. You see, every part and every detail of this Christmas story lives and exists in each one of us, which means that the message of the Christmas story is for each one of us. You do not have to be afraid. There's peace available to you because you are favored by God. And so I don't know what the details of your Christmas story have looked like this year. Maybe you got all those boxes checked, and it's so good for you. Maybe you're still trying to get it all wrapped up, get it all managed and perfect with the ribbon and bow just perfectly tied on top so that you can relax. Wherever you find yourself this Christmas, 
you do not have to be afraid. And there's peace available because you were favored by God. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of your son and the reminder that it's in him that we can always have access to you. God, there's no part of ourself, there's no story, there's no facet, there's no detail that keeps us from the message of Christmas. And so in that, God, let us receive it. Let us accept it. And let us find peace in our hearts and minds because of it. God, we love you. We're grateful that we get to come together to be reminded of the message of this story and what Christmas really means. Amen.